0: Good morning. We're glad you're here today. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Glad we can start a new week together here at Great Oaks with God's people. Uh, If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here. Uh, We are trying to follow Jesus Christ. We're trying to help each other follow Jesus Christ. And if if we can help you in any way, please let us know. We hope to get a chance to meet you uh, before you leave today. Couple things we're excited about before we get started. Miss Kathy Eanes, could you stand up for just a second? Where is Miss Kathy this morning? There you are, Miss Kathy. Met with our elders uh, last week, I believe, to let them know that she would like to be part of the Great Oaks family. She's been visiting with us for several months. You can have a seat, and I'll share a few more things about you. Miss Kathy grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana, and she was baptized as she was growing up there at the Jackson Street Church of Christ. She said on a Sunday night. She made that decision to follow Jesus. She's been in Memphis for many years. Some of you may know her from the Brownsville Road Congregation or Bartlett Woods. And she is now currently working at the Naval Base in Millington. Uh, She arranges transportation for active duty personnel. Um, She also has three children and six grandchildren. She enjoys as hobbies container gardening. I need to learn more about that. Uh, Cooking. Uh, she's learning sign language I saw and she's also she grew up in Louisiana it's not her fault she's an LSU fan so y'all be nice to her be nice to her for those of you that are not uh, but we're, we're really glad Kathy's here uh, we really enjoyed getting to know her if you haven't got to meet her yet please meet her um, our theme for the year let us arise and build we introduced it a few weeks ago and one of the things we are trying to encourage with this building idea is we want to build relationships And so we have a couple things coming up in the next two weeks I want to make sure everybody knows about. I know everybody reads the bulletin religiously, but if you've missed something, I want to make sure you know about a couple things coming up. Next Sunday night, we have our focus team reorganization. Uh, We would really encourage you to be part of focus teams. If you are not familiar with what that is, small groups that get together a few times a year, we can share more about that if you have questions. Great way to get to know people. Next Sunday night, we meet our focus teams for the year. Bring some food to share. It's going to be a potluck dinner, so after our 5 p.m. worship, we'll go back to the gym and uh, eat together, meet our focus team for the year. You can sign up for that in the bulletin board. You may also see some QR codes in the bulletin or on the announcements. We'd love for you to be part of that. And then the week after that, so the first Sunday in February, we're going to have, this is a new thing for us, we're going to have a chili and pie cook-off. Now, whether you want to be part of a cook-off or not, bring some chili, bring some pie, uh, we're gonna have a lunch right after our Sunday morning worship. We're gonna eat chili and pie together. We're gonna give out some very unofficially judged awards. I don't know who's doing that. I may volunteer for that, but whoever's—I don't know who's making those decisions. Um, but we'll give out some awards, and it's just an opportunity for us to encourage involvement. That's gonna be a big part of that day. Gary Reeves helping us put that together. A big, a big emphasis there is gonna be. Let's get involved with some of the works we have in the church. We'll have some some information about that. So we hope you can be part of that. We're trying to build relationships after the crazy few years we've all been through with all the new faces we've been blessed with here at Great Oaks. Building relationships is a big goal for this year. Uh, we hope you can be part of those things. We're going to continue this morning. A theme we started, or a series we started with that theme last week. I hope it'll be a good study. Let's start with a prayer, then we'll jump into it. God, we're so thankful that we can come together today um, All generations gathered together uh, to worship you. God, we're thankful for every soul who's made the commitment to get up today and to come and to be here. I pray, God, you bless our lives and especially bless our faith. I pray, God, that our worship has already been with you, uh, that our hearts have been with you, and I pray the same for our lesson time. God, we're thankful today for Miss Kathy. We're thankful that she's part of our church family. We're thankful for the ways you've guided her in life and continue to. I pray, Lord, we can serve alongside each other in your church for many years. We're thankful that she's here. Guys, we open open your word together today. I pray that what is said be what you want to be said, and that we'll gain something from it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Started last week a series here in these last few weeks of January that we're calling Seeking God's Foundation. The idea comes from Ephesians chapter 2, where he says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. By the way, in Ephesians, in that context, the prophets there is probably talking about the New Testament prophets, those that had the, in the apostles' time the gift of inspiration to speak the Word of God. So what he's saying, if I understand it correctly, is the foundation of the church is the Word of God as given through the apostles and those prophets that were inspired in the first century. Jesus Himself, you notice, as the cornerstone of that foundation. And so anything we do, anything we teach as God's people, we want to make sure it's built on that foundation. There's so many different ideas in our religious world. And sometimes it's hard to cut through all of those and see what does God want. That's what we're trying to do on just a few things here in this series. So last week we talked about uh, baptism, if you were here with us. What does the Bible say about baptism? If you've not been baptized into Christ for forgiveness of your sins, we hope you'll do that. We hope you'll pray about that. Uh, in the Bible, it's an important thing. It's, it's something that was important enough to make sure you had done it right. And so if you have questions about baptism, Christian baptism, uh, we'd sure please reach out to us. We'd sure encourage you to do it God's way. But today we're going to ask another question. Why the Church of Christ? The reason I've termed it that way, I grew up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I was born here in Memphis, but grew up in Murfreesboro. And uh, my family went to the Minerva Drive Church of Christ in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I think I was in middle school when I first started wondering and asking, why is it that we pass 20 other church buildings with 20 other different religious names to go to the one we go to, the Minerva Drive Church of Christ? And why does my best friend, several of my best friends, why do they go to a church with a different name, with a different background, different and consider themselves a denominational group. Why, why, are there all these, why are there all these different groups? Why are all these different names? As I started asking those questions as a teenager, middle school, high school, um, what I found was I was blessed to be part of a church family that had been very intentional about who they were trying to be as a church and what they were trying not to be as a church. And those goals resonated with me. They made sense to me. But I went off to college, and maybe like some people that, that go off to college, you start asking questions all over again and rethinking through things all over again. So once again, I started asking myself, have I been worshiping with a church of Christ just because I grew up in that? Or, or, or why, am I, why am I going to a, a church? Should I even go anywhere was part of the questions I was asking at that time. But, but in digging through all those questions again and thinking through them all again for myself, I once again came back to the point that I was really impressed with the goals of churches of Christ. And I believe they're the right goals. However imperfectly we carry them out, I believe they're the right goals. And so what I want to do this morning is just to walk through some of those biblical ideas. What what Jesus wanted his church to be and what we here at Great Oaks, for example, are trying to be in taking the name on the sign Great Oaks Church of Christ. That that's been a very intentional, thoughtful choice by this church family, and it reflects some goals that we hope to share this morning. I hope it'll be helpful. So here's where we're going to start. In 1 Corinthians 2, too, we're reminded everything starts with Jesus. That's, that's what our faith is, is Jesus Christ. Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But if you were with us last week, we pointed out you can't talk about Jesus without talking about baptism, for example, because in Acts 8, he's Philip is teaching the Ethiopian eunuch. He's preaching Jesus, and all of a sudden he's asking about baptism. Jesus was baptized. He taught baptism. You can't leave baptism out if you're talking about Jesus. It's part of the story. By the same token, this morning, you can't talk about Jesus and leave out the church. Now, some people want to. Uh, Some people want to say, well, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with that church stuff. Now, I understand maybe where they're coming from. There's a lot of bad examples of religion. There's a lot of hypocrites. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fake faith in our culture, which is disappointing. But that's not a reason to give up on what Jesus said about the church. Jesus had a good purpose in building the church. And we'll see here in just a second, it, that's where it came from. It came from Jesus himself. So all I say at this point is Jesus and the church are very closely connected. Let's put a few verses up here. To make that clear, Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18, if you're keeping the outline, is what Ben read for us just a minute ago. Understand Ben's first time to read scripture this morning. Did a great job. You remember this conversation? Uh, Simon Peter says to Jesus after he'd asked, who do people say that I am? Peter speaks up as he always did. Sometimes he got it right. Sometimes he didn't. He was right here today. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then answers, I'm skipping over verse 17 on the screen here. Jesus says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The church is not something people made up on their own, the church was built by Jesus himself. It's his church, it was his idea. But Whatever imperfections, the ways we mess it up, what it was supposed to be, and what, we still, what I still think it can be and should be, was built by Jesus himself. So don't throw away the idea of church. That's part of the story of Jesus. A couple more real quick to put up here. Acts 20, 28, what does it say about Jesus? This is Paul talking to the elders of the church. He describes it as the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. How many things would you die for? It's probably not a long list. For me, it's not a real long list. Jesus died for the church. Not only, think about that, not only did he die for each soul individually, he did. He also died for the church, this people that he would bring together. That was part of the sacrifice, that was part of the plan that God had always had to bring people of all nations and races and languages and backgrounds together to serve God, to serve as one kingdom of, of God, not just the kingdom of men. That was Jesus' plan. He he loved it enough to die for it. One more, Ephesians 5. There's a challenge here to husbands in the comparison to Christ. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Be careful your attitude towards the church. Christ loves the church. He gave himself up for her. Verse 26 goes on to say, and then notice, notice this, not only did he die for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water. By the way, that sounds like baptism, again, part of the plan. He's cleansed the church by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. If you've read much about Revelation, for example, or the end of time, The end of time is often compared in Scripture to a wedding. And it's Christ and the church as the the wedding. That Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. And and Ephesians 5.27 here says, The church should be presented to Christ in all her glory, holy and blameless. Jesus has a goal for what He wants the church to be. It's not just... Do whatever you want. There's a a holy goal in the church and why Jesus built it. So let's talk about that for just a minute. What did Jesus want His church to be? Now, there's a lot of things you could say here. There's a lot of things you could say. I'm going to point out two things um, that that especially aim at the goals of churches of Christ. Some ways we're trying, trying to be what Jesus wants us to be there's plenty of other goals you could say for the church but um, I just want to point out a couple here now let me think about let's think about this before I put these two up here let's imagine you were building a house and you put the money together and you sit down with the architect or whoever does that sort of thing and, and you draw it all out exactly like you want the house to be and you've thought about your family as you as you put this house plan together, and you've thought about how many rooms and where you want them, and how you want the layout on the land, and you've 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 organized exactly how you want. But then, as you go to, and maybe some of you had this experience. Then, then as you go to see as they're building the house, you notice it's not it's not what you had on the plans, and you say, "Now, now to the builder. Now, wait a second. I I had." I had this laid out differently, where we had more rooms. Well, and the builder might say, "Well, I, I thought you know it's trendier now for for smaller homes and fewer rooms, and so I just decided to take out a few rooms that I thought you probably really didn't need, and so we're just gonna we're just gonna end the house right here." When you say what? That's not what I wanted I was, this was my house I was well and then let me give you some other things I've done I've, I've looked into some of the, the trends that people like about about kitchens or about bathrooms or about roofs and and so I just I've just went ahead and made the changes because I feel like they're better and I think people will like your house more if you'll just let me change the house into the way I want it to be would you be happy with that conversation I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy with it I'd say no wait a second this is this is my house and I built it because I knew this is the way I this is the This is the right way for this house to be built. Don't forget, Jesus built the church. And he knows, he knows how it needs to be. He doesn't need us to improve it. He doesn't need us to change it. He doesn't need us to say, well, there's some new trends, Jesus, that maybe you wouldn't have known about. He doesn't need any of that. He, he just needs us to trust that He knows how to build His church. Let's, let's point out two things that Jesus wanted in his church that we sadly don't see a whole lot today. Number one, Jesus wanted his church to be undivided. Now that's hard for a lot of reasons. We're all people. We're all sinful. We are all selfish and all those sorts of things. And so unity in any group of people can be difficult. If you have two people, (laughs) unity can be difficult. Well, Jesus is bringing all sorts of people together and he's saying, I want there to be a unity in my church and and in a broader sense God wants all Christians to be one not not divided into thousands or however many different denominational fences have been built through all the years He doesn't want that for example in the the scripture we read a minute ago Matthew 16:18 you notice church is singular here Jesus doesn't say I will build my church Churches or my, he doesn't say I'll build denominations. He doesn't say I'll build all these different groups and they'll, he doesn't say that. There's a, there's a singular nature to it. Even more clear to me is John 17 when Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's talking, about, he's praying. He's, I'm not just asking for the apostles, I'm also asking for those who believe in me through their word. If you haven't noticed it, Jesus prayed for you and I. In John 17, verse 20, he prayed for everybody who would believe in him through the word of the apostles. Notice what he prayed for then in verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's really sad to me because Jesus prays that his people would be one so that it would be a witness to the world, the unity of Christians would be a witness to the world that Jesus really came. And our religious world has really messed that up, hasn't it? Because when people outside of Christianity look at Christianity, they do not you don't often hear, they're so united. You don't hear that. What you hear is people say, they can't even get along. They can't even agree on things. Look at all the different denominations. Look at all the different groups. Look at all the different arguments through the years. Jesus wanted His church to be one. One so that the world would know God was really in this. He goes on and says the same thing in verse 22. That they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I and them, you and me. Again, so that the world may know that you sent me. Jesus wanted unity in His church. Sadly, we've really messed that up. As years have gone on, so many denominational fences have been built up. Here's the group we are, here's the group we are, here's the group we are. Um, Not what Jesus wanted. A second thing that Jesus wanted that we don't often see. This is a longer one. I've given you only two blanks to try to fill it in. I'll probably read it twice here. Jesus wanted His church to continue in the teachings and practices given by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Hope that makes sense. Jesus wanted His church to continue for all time, in the teachings and practices given by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So I have several verses here just to make the point that when the apostles were teaching, they weren't just teaching their own ideas. Jesus himself sent the Holy Spirit to them and expected what they did and taught in the church to be what the church would do and teach for all time. Jesus knew how to build his church. And so he was building it exactly as it needed to be. How they would worship, how they would be organized, how they would live, all those things would be shown through the apostles and were supposed to be continued. Here in John 14, 26 is when Jesus promises them he would send them the Holy Spirit. And this is throughout John chapters 14, 15, 16, but let this verse be representative of that. Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So there's two things there. The Holy Spirit would help the apostles to remember all that Jesus had said and would teach them all things. That There would be things Jesus hadn't had a chance to teach them yet. So God would keep teaching through the Holy Spirit as they were, as they were putting the church together, just like Jesus wanted the church to be put together. The Holy Spirit would do that through the apostles. And then you find this theme throughout the apostles' writings that what they were doing was supposed to be continued by Christians for for all time, that their traditions of of worship and life and how to be saved and how to organize all those things were supposed to be continued. You see it, for example, in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Paul says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. The us, there's the apostles. So, so Paul is saying, whether we've written it, we have a lot of their writings in the New Testament, whether we've said it, hold those traditions that you were taught. 1 Corinthians eleven two. 2. You can decide how many of these you want to write down. There's a lot of them. I haven't even put them all up here. But I just want you to notice the theme. Paul says, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, the apostles' traditions given by the Holy Spirit, just as I delivered them to you. Once again, the apostles, speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking through them, gave these traditions that you're supposed to hold to. Philippians 3.17. Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. There is a pattern given in the apostles. And again, it wasn't just their ideas. It was the Holy Spirit, by the promise of Jesus, speaking and living in the apostles. That word pattern is the same word, same Greek word used as the New Testament refers back to the pattern God gave Moses for the Old Testament. Now that one we look at is pretty obviously a pattern. God told Moses, I want you to build the tabernacle with these dimensions. and I want you to build the altar with these dimensions. But, but Moses' law is not our law anymore. Jesus, at the death of Jesus, we began the covenant of Christ. And our pattern today is, the, is what the apostles said and taught and gave. Again, that built on the foundation, Jesus Christ the cornerstone. So the pattern is the apostles. When we ask questions in our faith, how should we do things? We look to the pattern the Holy Spirit gave through the apostles. I think this is my last one on this. Philippians 4.9, the things you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, Paul says, as an apostle. Practice these things. The teachings, the practices of the apostles were supposed to be continued. And I do have one more, Jude 3. Notice the description. I'll just read the description underlined. The faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. It was once for all handed down. It wasn't supposed to change. See, Some people seem to have the idea, and maybe if you didn't have these verses, you would think that. Some people seem to have the idea that Jesus would just start the church, and then as the world changed, the church's views could change and practices could change. That's That's not how Jesus built it. He knew how to build the church. He knew what built faith. He knew what brought people to salvation and, and encouraged them, bring them closer to God. And so he said, I'm going to give that through my apostles. And those things were once for all handed down. Once again, that's sad because that's not the way we've done things as you look back at church history. The way I picture it in my mind, and maybe you think in images and, and diagrams and all that, like I tend to do. I picture it as this this straight line that Jesus gave His church. It was supposed to be followed. But as time went on, people had different ideas, and they started branching off from that line. Well, I'd like to do this, or maybe, I'd li- maybe this is better. And, and soon, we were branching in all sorts of different directions with all sorts of different denominations and different teachings. And it's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted undivided unity. He wanted following the apostles' teachings and practices. We've really messed that up, haven't we? Is mere Christianity even possible since we messed it up since the years have gone on and we're not divided and we got all sorts of teachings is it even possible to just be christians anymore because some people say it's not some people say you know what there's just too much water under the bridge too many arguments have come and passed. you just got to pick your pick your group The, the groups are there pick your group but there have always been some there have always been some who said just because we messed it up doesn't mean Jesus has stopped wanting us to try to get it right. C.S. Lewis, I've been reading uh, off and on, just here and there, a biography on C.S. Lewis. So some of his thoughts of, in life has been in my mind recently. Uh, he wrote a book that he entitled Mere Christianity. And people, I think, were just as fascinated by the title as they were anything else. But one of the things they liked about C.S. Lewis, and people still like about C.S. Lewis' writings, is that he didn't write from a denominational perspective. What he wrote was, here's what Christianity teaches, and he tried to tell Scripture on that. Here's, here's what Jesus taught, and he tried to tell Scripture on that. And he wasn't the first to do that. Um, in fact, he was, as I've been reading through his, his biography, he was fascinated with a guy in the 1600s, a guy named Richard Baxter, who was writing about religious division, and, and he was, Richard Baxter was saying the same thing. He said, we shouldn't have all these arguments. We shouldn't have all these different groups dividing up denominationally. He says, there needs to be a mere Christianity. That's where Lewis got the phrase. There needs to be a mere Christianity based in Scripture, not in denominational doctrine. In 1942, there was a guy named W.R. Inge. Again, he's doing a study of all the different denominations. And he says, there needs to be the scaffolding of a simple and genuinely Christian faith. We don't need to have all this stuff. Many years before Lewis, about 100 years before C.S. Lewis. Uh, Here in America, many churches that took the name Churches of Christ came from a stream of people, including a guy named Alexander Campbell who wrote and said a lot about this, who said, we don't need to just pick a denominational area, let's just be Christians. Let's just go back to the Bible and just do it the Bible's way, and then we're just Christians. There have always been people that someone... Loan me a book by Francis Chan, a religious writer today, called Letters to the Church. Now, I haven't got to read through it all yet. I'll get there. But on the back, uh, Francis Chan says, we've messed up the church. Everybody knows we've messed it up. We need to go back and start doing it the way he did it in the Bible. There have always been people who have said, the way we've messed this up is not right. But that doesn't mean we give up. That means we say, how can we make the church what Jesus wanted it to be? I want to end with three things, three ways here at Great Oaks and in Churches of Christ. We are trying, we are trying to, to organize and be the church Jesus wanted us to be. Number one, we try to only take the name of Christ. We don't think God wants us taking denominational names. We don't think God wants us to, and I'm using this, we don't think God wants us, for example, to say, I'm a Lutheran or I'm a Catholic. I have nothing personal against Lutherans or Catholics. I'm I'm using those as examples. We don't think God wants us to, to pick a group and put that name on our faith. The reason we think that is places like 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul was writing to the Corinthian church about how divided they were. He says, That's not right. You're not supposed to have divisions among you, you're supposed to be the same mind, the same judgment. And he says in verse 12, the the problem was, part of the problem, they were taking names on their faith. And some were saying, I'm a Paul Christian, or I'm an Apollos Christian, or I'm a Cephas, another name for Peter, I'm a Peter Christian. And some were saying, I'm just of Christ. Notice verse 13, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Do Do you hear the logic there? says, you shouldn't take any other name because you were, you were obeying Jesus who was crucified for you. And you were baptized in the name of Jesus. And so His is the only name you should take. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, we have to be careful how we speak about this. Because in a denominational world, sometimes we find ourselves... Uh, speaking of of churches of Christ as if they're just another denomination. That's not the goal. The goal is not just to be another denomination. We're trying to to just be that Christianity that Jesus taught. We're trying to just be that church that Jesus built. So we're not Church of Christers. We're not not a Church of Christ church. We are trying to be Christians. And the Church of Christ, the one He built, we're just, just trying to be that church. We don't want to be getting behind any of the denominational fences. So we try to only take the name of Christ. Number two... We accept no denominational structures. That's a big part of what has divided those who profess Christianity through the years. You get groups, and so you have, this, you have a, a denominational convention that gets together and makes decisions for all these churches that they're over. Uh, or you have a, a denominational structure where there's one group that's over 12 churches and someone else over all the churches in the state, and another is over the churches in the country. None of that's in Scripture. What I think you find in Scripture is, Jesus is the head of His church, and then every individual congregation had leadership called elders. And those elders were supposed to lead that church as best they could to follow Jesus. The only one who stood between that church and God. There's no one who stood between that church and God. Say it that way. You went went straight to Jesus. Jesus was the head of His church. For example, Ephesians 1.22, Jesus is the head of the church. He's, He's in charge. Um, he did not set in place cardinals or popes or any of those sorts of things it was just each individual congregation and then Jesus the head of that church elders were over each church one example of that is Acts twenty seventeen uh, and 28 where Paul is talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus He says the Holy Spirit made you overseers. If you have more questions about that that's a much longer discussion uh, I'm, and so if that's new to you I'd be glad to show you some things. We could talk about it. You can make your own decision on it. But I think what you'll find is in the Bible, that's the way it worked. Every individual congregation was its own. Nobody was over each one to pull a whole group into a section or a segment. When, we're, when we take the name Churches of Christ, we're undenominational. There's no convention that tells us how to, how to do things. We're just trying to follow the Bible. What does Jesus say to do? That's what we're trying to do. And then number three, we take Scripture as our only authority, because we believe God's Word is given to us in Scripture. And, and since the Holy Spirit inspired those apostles to write and teach and do what they did, our, that's all we have. There's no handbook that says, here's what the Church of Christ believes. All you have is Scripture. There, there's, no, uh, there's no creed that says, here's points 1 through 12. What we, believe. what we are trying to do is just open the Bible. What does God want us to be? Now, I'm not telling you that's always easy. There are some things that are are discussed and debated and we're trying our best. But I think it's the right message to say, let's just follow Scripture. Why do I think that? Jesus said that. Jesus in Mark 7, he's quoting from Isaiah. He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. God does not want us teaching as doctrines the ideas of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, Jesus says, you hold to the tradition of men. Do you see the distinction? Jesus doesn't want... The tradition of men, he wants us to be following the commandment of God. Verse 9, this is sad to me. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And sadly, sometimes it feels like people can still become experts at finding ways to set aside the commandment of God to do what they want to do. We're, We're trying not to do that. To the best of our ability, we are trying to follow Scripture. I heard this verse a lot growing up. I hope, it's, I hope it's an attitude we keep in our lives. Acts 17, 11, talking about the people of Berea, says they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And I always heard preachers say, don't believe it because I say it. Look in Scripture. You're going to answer to God from what Scripture says when you stand before God at the last day. And I appreciated that attitude, and I I echo it for myself. Don't believe something because I say it. Maybe that's not a problem to you, but don't believe it just because I say it. Uh, Go to Scripture and say, what does God say? To the the point I'm echoing Scripture, the point we're reading Scripture, stand on that. Stand on that, because that's what we're all going to be judged by. We are trying here at Great Oaks. We have no creeds. We try to just follow the Bible. So what I heard growing up when I started asking, why are, we, why are we driving past all these other, why are there all these other churches? What I heard my family and my, current, my church family saying was, our goal is to just be Christians. Our goal is to just follow the Bible. It's been messed up a lot through the years. We're trying to just be what Jesus wanted it to be. I still believe, in fact, I'm more convinced than ever, that those are the right goals. Again, I'm not saying they're easy goals. I'm not saying they're easy to accomplish. But I think, let's just be Christians. Let's just follow the Bible. I don't know how you argue with that. <laughs> I think mean, that's what Jesus wanted his people to be. And that's what we're trying to do here at Great Oak. So let's, let's end with that. We are trying to be, however imperfectly, we are trying to be the church Jesus built. And my hope is that we'll always be pursuing that goal to the best of our ability. If you have questions about any of that, I know there's a lot of things there, and that's not something you hear every day in our religious world. I understand that. But if you have questions about the goal of mere Christianity, New Testament Christianity that that we believe Jesus wants, please let us know. We're sure trying to pursue it, and we'd love for you to join us in doing that. Maybe you came this morning ready to come before your church family for any reason to take a step of faith. We'd love to pray for you. We're about to sing a song of invitation. This is an opportunity for anybody to come before us to to let us know you'd like to take a step of faith, to let us know you'd like us to pray for you, or anything going on in your life. Maybe you're ready today to repent and be baptized. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you're ready for what Acts 2.38 says. Repent, turn your life around, turn your thinking around, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'd love to see you make that commitment today. Or if we can pray for you about anything, we'd love to do that need to respond publicly. You're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing.